everybody. This is Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, December 19th, 2021. Welcome to The Way R122 Ministry Live, The Way Radio Live. Um, the last sermon before we celebrate uh, Christ's birth on the 25th. So we're just about a week away from Christmas right now. And the title of the sermon today is The Word Became the Savior. And obviously, now is the time of year when we preach about and we meditate on uh, Christ's birth and the glorious truth and blessing that that is. And so, like like I said, the, the title of the sermon today is The Word Became the Savior. So let's pray and we will get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to gather at a distance online uh, to be able to uh, learn of you, to hear from your word, uh, to meditate on the message of the gospel, and at this time of the year, to meditate on the great blessing and to contemplate the great blessing of your birth, God incarnate among us. And we just thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the word became the savior. And to preface this message, you know, when looking at what is going on in the world these days and uh, the chaos and the confusion, uh, the evil that is manifesting in so many different ways, um, it just seems like it's a perfect time to get the influence of the world out of Christmas, to simplify Christmas, to honor Christ through it to contemplate and celebrate it through scripture rather than burying it beneath garish spectacle, which is really what Christmas has become, at least in, you know, in America, uh, it's just become so much of a circus in so many ways and just so absolutely buried under consumerism and profits rather than uh, really, if you, if you read the, the story and we're going to go through it today from the book of Luke, of Christ's birth, the theme that you, that you get is this beautiful, quiet, glorious event when Christ came into the world in such a humble, uh, quiet, and amazing way. And I think one of the greatest ways that we can affect the world as it spins out of control around us is to reject what the world has made Christmas and get back into what Christmas really is biblically and to celebrate the birth of Christ uh, from the perspective of the gospel and in a proper biblical way. So I pray that this message would, would help us to do that maybe in some way and to inspire us to think more along those lines. So I'm going to begin in the book of John, verses 1 through 5 and then verse 14. And it's really, in my opinion, it's probably one of the most profound statements in scripture when you really think about what John is saying. But he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And where Paul is saying uh, in the beginning was the word, he, the Greek word is logos. And it was in that context, in that time in history, the logos was that elusive truth that all these religions and all these practices of idolatry and, and basically all this philosophy was trying to figure out what is the ultimate truth? What is the logos? And Jesus is the one true ultimate truth. And again, in verse 14, and that word, that logos became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So I want to look at the Christmas story in the book of Luke. That's the classic, you know, go-to telling of the birth of Christ. And it is beautiful. It's profound. So that's what we're going to go through today in this message. And starting in verse uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was, his, and, and was with child. Now, notice that it says in those days, and then it refers to Caesar Augustus and Quirinius. And what Luke is doing here is he is showing us that this event took place, and it's speaking of real people in real history. This is not a fictional story or a fairy tale. This is a historical event that is recorded other than in just the Bible that took place in history. So Luke, Luke is clearly setting the narrative of what he's telling us within the context of recorded history. Now, at the time of Jesus's birth, the Roman Empire was at its apex. It was, it was the most powerful governmental system on earth. It was so large, it was called Terrarum Orbis Imperium, which means the empire of the whole earth. Nearly the entire civilized world was under Roman dominion, and the Jewish people in uh, the Middle East were, were basically, they felt to be oppressed by the Roman Empire. So they very much wanted some kind of a political savior or redeemer to come and free them from the, from the yoke of Roman bondage. But what we see here is that Caesar's political decree was used by God to take Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem for Jesus's birth in fulfillment of prophecy. And this is one of the most fascinating things we see all through Scripture, especially in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is we see evil individual, evil forces, evil governmental systems doing something without realizing that they, were, that they are forwarding the purposes of God and the cause of the gospel. If you look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Jerusalem, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Now notice that it refers to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem signifies the house of bread. 
And it's interesting that Jesus was born there. And then he tells us in his ministry in John 6, 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, what's something else that's interesting is that David was also born in Bethlehem, and David was a shepherd. Christ was born in Bethlehem, and Christ referred to himself as a shepherd. So, as, so, as, so David was born in Bethlehem, he was a shepherd, as was Christ, who was prophesied to come through the line of David. Jesus himself, again, tells us in John 10, 1, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now, Roman law didn't require that the wife accompany her husband to be registered for the tax. He could have done it on his own. So Joseph must have brought Mary out of concern that she was so close to her time to deliver. He was being led by the Holy Spirit in that God's eternal decree was that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So what we're seeing is all these nuances and these things happening so that the birth of Christ would happen in Bethlehem as it was clearly prophesied years and years before in Scripture. Now, if we continue, we look at Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the first section here I want to comment on is, is to put what we're reading here in a gospel context. This baby has been born to Mary and Joseph. We know that this was announced by the angel Gabriel to both of them. This is a very special event. This is a baby being born to a virgin. But let's look at it from a, uh, for a second from a, a gospel context. If we look at Hebrews 10, 3 through 7, it says, But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. And, he's, uh, and Hebrews is referring to Psalm 40 that was written by David. So what we see here is Christ this prophecy from David speaking basically in the place of Christ and saying, sacrifice and offering you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. That body is the child, the body of the child that is born to Mary and Joseph as prophesied years before to take place in Bethlehem. Matthew 26, 12 says, for when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. This took place in Jesus's ministry when he was anointed with this perfume. Second Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He bore our sins in the body. 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. 
And then Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So now we're starting to see the importance of that birth in God's plan of redemption, the gospel message that took place in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So he is the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. But what we see here is Jesus's entrance into the world was in the most humble settings and circumstances. And this is one of the great lessons that I think we can learn from this today. And this is one of the ways, again, that we take the world out of Christmas and we bring it back to what it truly is. Again, remembering that he is the king of kings and he's Lord of lords. He's God incarnate. Yet Jesus's entrance into the world was in the most humble of settings and circumstances. Now, it says that there was no room for them in the end. And we've heard that over and over again, especially in the West and especially in America, that there was no room for Mary and Joseph in the inn. So Christ had to be born in a barn or a manger. But when you really study that society and what it's really saying in the original language, one of the things you, under, you come to see is that it's mostly that, that statement, there, there was no room for them in the end, is mostly misunderstood by much of Western Christianity. First of all, because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he would have been welcomed into just about any home in Bethlehem. He was a direct descendant from David, and if that was known, he would not be rejected, him and his family. Verse 4 says, To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And it also doesn't seem that any culture throughout the world, especially a rural culture, would reject a pregnant woman, especially in Jewish culture. And I think that is something very important to consider. If you've ever spent any time in third world countries, or in rural environments in those countries, one thing you see is often very tight bonds of care between those within rural communities. So it just doesn't make sense that this pregnant woman would be forced to go have her baby in a barn because that is just not the way those people functioned. You see, they were not that cold, especially in Jewish culture. The other thing, was the manger a barn or an animal pen? And that is one of the biggest misunderstandings we have about the Christmas story. See, the, the, the typical peasant home, the design of the typical peasant home at that time would have been, uh, you came into usually the, the door, the front door of the house, and that would enter a lower section of the house. And as you came in there, you would have like a small area uh, where the animals would be brought in from the cold at night. And then you would go up from there into an area that was raised. And that would be the, that would be the part of the house that the people lived in. So the animals were down below a little bit. You come up into a raised area and you'd have like a large living room area. And then in the back, maybe a couple other rooms uh, that, you, that we would call bedrooms. And then in that area, that main living area, you would have mangers. And that may be uh, like an indentation that was dug out of the floor over by the animal pen. So you could put food in there for the animals to eat out of, or maybe a wooden manger that they could eat out of. So that's what that, that is talking about. So, um, and they also, the, the manger obviously serves well as a cradle in which to lay a baby because of its shape. But for well over 100 years, scholars in the Middle East have seen verse 7, which says, go back a page here in my notes. 
and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So uh, the point I was making is, for over 100 years, scholars in the Middle East have seen verse 7 as referring to a main family room in a peasant home with mangers in the floor at one end. People that understood the culture of that time, that's how they view that scripture. But why does it say there was no room for them in the inn? What does that mean? Now, that is where we have to look at the original Greek. In Greek, there are two types of inn in the Greek language that we find in scripture. And the first one is the word kataloma, and the second one is the word uh, pandokion. Kataloma refers to a guest room or a guest chamber in a home. Pandokion refers to a public lodging place, such as where the Good Samaritan took the wounded man in Luke 10.34. So Luke himself uses these two words that we would interpret as in, but he uses them in different ways. So Pandokion, if you read the story of the Good Samaritan, and the Good Samaritan brings this man that has been wounded and beaten up to an inn, he brings him to, brings him to a Pandokion. And when he does so, that Pandokion is like what we would look at as maybe a modern, I, I picture it as like a medieval sort of inn where there was probably a tavern on the bottom and there was rooms upstairs that people could rent to stay in, maybe like a little modern motel type of setup. But the word that we're looking at here is kataluma that refers to a guest room or a guest chamber in a home at that time. So here in Luke 7, the word translated as in is kataloma, and Luke also uses this word for the upper room in a private home in which the Lord's Supper took place. So we see Luke using these in different places, and we see that if we use those to interpret his use here, he's referring to a room in a private home. So what he's telling us is Luke is saying that Jesus was placed in a manger in the main room, in the main family room of a home, because there was no room in the cataluma or the guest room. So they stayed in the main room. The mangers were there, and that's where Jesus was placed when he was born. Now, this makes sense because Bethlehem was probably full of visitors because of the decree for all to go to their own towns to be registered. So those back rooms may have already probably were already occupied from other visitors that were in town for the registration. So they said, yeah, Joseph and Mary, you can come. You can stay here. Mary can have a safe, a safe quiet, warm place to give birth. And it took place in the main room of the home, you see. And then baby and then Jesus was placed in the manger. So Mary and Joseph were welcomed into a private home, and because the guest room was full, they stayed in the main family room, and when Jesus was born, he was placed in one of the mangers, either carved into the floor or a small wooden manger. But here is something very important that I want you to see here. Joseph and Mary were welcomed by the beautiful, simple, common people, as Jesus was in his ministry, and his gospel is to this day. And when you welcome his gospel, you're welcoming him. Mark 12, 37 says, David therefore himself calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? His son, and, he com and the common people heard him gladly. I massacred that verse, so let me say it again. It's, it's in the King James. Mark 12, 37, David therefore himself calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Now, the thing that we're going to see again 
is the response of some more common people in the following verses when we see the experience of the shepherds at the announcement that the Messiah had been born. But the main point I wanted you to see here again, the common people would have welcomed Mary and Joseph and given her a place safely to give birth to Christ the Messiah. Jesus. The other thing that you need to see here is that Jesus was not born to a queen or princess in earthly sp- splendor, but to a poor virgin as a sign of spiritual purity. Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. All down through history, we see that the poor in spirit are those who get blessed with an understanding and the sight to see the truth of the gospel message. And to be poor in spirit does not mean that you're depressed, you're downtrodden, you're a dark, uh, melancholy person. Poor in spirit means you've come to the point to realize that there is nothing you can do to save yourself, that you are spiritually poor and you need something or someone to save you, to redeem you with your creator. And that spiritual poverty is only filled and enriched through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The only way any human being can be pure in heart is to be transformed through Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then we see where he, uh, in Luke 9, 5, 8, Jesus says, Uh, In his ministry, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So Christ's time on earth was a time that he spent in poverty. He didn't hold any worldly possessions. Now, one way to look at that, and I think it's accurate, is that Christ desired no earthly possessions. I think understanding because he is the creator, because he is God, knowing the glory that this earth will become when it is returned to what it was meant to be before it was corrupted by sin and depravity, there's nothing in this world that he would want. But again, it's that message that the Christian gospel message, the spirit of Christ resides in those that are poor in spirit, those that are pure in heart. Those are not seeking the riches and the adoration of this world. Jesus endured and died in the shame of the cross, but he was raised up in glory. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His humility and birth was balanced with his adoration and glory beyond anything this world, sinful world, could imagine. And that's what we see in the following verses. So what we're going to see now as we move into the rest of this is a contrast between Christ's earthly existence, where he was born into very humble, simple circumstances. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't part of the elite. And he lived a life of suffering. And he was, and he died for our sins at the hands of sinful men. But then contrast that with the glory that we see exhibited as we move further into the story. 
Luke 2, 8 through 12 says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now being told that the Messiah was wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger helped the shepherds to see that Jesus was in an ordinary home, probably similar to their own homes. He was not in a palace or mansion among the worldly elite. And even though they were simple shepherds, they could feel that they would be welcome to see and worship the king. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So now imagine this, this scene. Imagine the peace and quiet of the shepherds as they watched over their flocks by night. The only sound was probably the occasional bleeding of the sheep. And then without any warning, an angel from heaven appears and stands before them as the glory of the Lord shines around them. The angel and the heavenly host didn't appear to kings or priests, but to poor shepherds out in the quiet of the fields. And then consider that the patriarchs were shepherds. David was a shepherd. And then also consider that sheep needed for the daily sacrifices in the temple were fed near Bethlehem. So they could have very well been tending the sheep some of which would have been used for the daily sacrifices at the temple in Bethlehem for the people's sins. But the final sacrifice had just been born. And it says they were filled with great fear. Fallen creatures are terrified in the presence of God's glory and heavenly beings all through the scriptures. The human condition trembles before the heavenly glory of God. Verses 13 and 14. Again, they say, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Imagine witnessing this event. This is the very first Christmas song praising the glory of God. God's redemption of his children is his glory to the highest. If we are at peace with God, we have true and lasting peace. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There is no true and lasting peace unless we are reconciled to God through his Son, Jesus Christ. The Word became the Savior. Ezekiel 36.25-27 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.9-10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. 
Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And John 3, 16 through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Folks, Christ's birth and his death, the manger and the cross, Christmas and the gospel. This is where the joy of Christmas comes from. You should be able to strip away everything that we think of as Christmas in a worldly context. Strip away the gifts. Strip away the decorations, the trees, the movies, the music. Strip away all of that, and you should still be able to rejoice in the truth of Christmas because you understand that that joy comes from Christ's birth and his death, the manger and the cross, Christmas and the gospel. This is where the joy of Christmas comes from. Continuing Luke chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. The shepherds were not going to see Mary and Joseph. They went to see Jesus, the baby lying in a manger, the Savior, Lord, and King. The word became flesh dwelling among us. Luke 2.17 says, When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. The shepherds had one of the greatest experiences in the history of the world. Think back through everything that's ever taken place in world history. And these simple shepherds in these fields experienced one of the greatest events in all time. Pretty amazing to think of. Luke 2.18 continues, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. They didn't keep the good news to themselves. They proclaimed it to everyone they could find. And then verse 19 says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. A beautiful verse. She pondered and treasured up every detail of Jesus's amazing life up until the day she stood at the foot of the cross and watched him die. John 19, 25 through 27 says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. He showed great concern for her from the cross. She witnessed his miraculous triumphant resurrection and saw her son, born 30-odd years before in humble poverty, as her Lord and Savior, victorious over sin and death. She witnessed all of it. And I would speculate that the rest of her life must have been one of contemplation, adoration, worship, and praise of her son. The Word became her Savior. 
Luke 2.20 continues. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. This is a picture of the Christian life. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then Luke 2.21 says, And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So in closing, why did Jesus come to us and become one of us? Why did the word become flesh? Why was God born as one of us? Because God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son to suffer and die in our place and on our behalf to save us from condemnation due to us because of our sin, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. The manger and the cross, Bethlehem and Calvary must be seen together. Folks, the joy of Christmas is peace with God. The spirit of Christmas is the Holy Spirit. And I'll close with Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or, or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The word became our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Uh, we thank you and praise you for the message of the gospel. And Lord, I just ask that especially uh, during these times in which we live, when there is so much darkness, that the truth of Christmas would shine so brightly that what this world has turned Christmas into would be ashamed before it, that we would shine with your true light, that we would exhibit simplicity and humility and love for you and all that we do through this season. And Lord, just uh, we pray that you would care for us through the coming week, that you would bless uh, the work that we do, that it would be profitable for the, for the cause of the gospel and fruitful, and that many more hearts would be opened to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys, thank you for watching today. Um, if you get a chance, please consider visiting elephantwalk.net where you can receive 10% on checkout by typing in the way, all lowercase, no space between the words. And you can visit our website at thewayr122.org. You can find the podcast at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Just type the way radio in the search field. We're on Rumble at the way. R122. And please consider supporting the work of this ministry. Uh, I very much want to get back to Kenya as early next year as possible to work uh, with Pastor Patrick in helping him improve his facilities so we can bring in more children uh, that can't afford to go to school and that we can establish a Bible college there to help people learn the truth of the gospel and to become uh, knowledgeable 
of scripture and the Bible. Uh, they're just inundated with false teachings there. Um, it's everywhere. And we just very much want to set up just a place that shines in the darkness with the light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need your help to do that. So please consider going to the way r122.org and visiting the donate page uh, to do so. All right, everybody have just a blessed and wonderful Christmas. Keep your eyes on the Lord and God willing, we'll be back here next week. Same time, same place. God bless you guys.